even though I was, like I said, practicing yoga and mindfulness and I was doing, I've, I just started to do some coaching sessions with a coach. Um, by the time I was diagnosed with cancer, I felt like I still haven't found a way to actually be myself or to be kind of really happy with who I am. And I think it really took that cancer, <laughs> even though it was really, really hard. And it sounds really cliche to say it's a blessing in disguise, but I, I really felt like that was a, a monumental point in my life um, because the cancer really kind of is a signal to me that something was really wrong with my life and I needed to find a different way out. I basically had to fall apart. I basically quit my job and I spent all my energy on healing, on recovering. And then slowly, as I regained my strength, I realized actually I really needed to be outside, to be in nature. Especially when I was having chemo, I was so low on energy, but then I would still go out for a walk. And then it's usually that short walk that felt like the best time of the day. It was later on when I realized that, yeah, it was every time when I go to the park next door to my building that I felt nice, that I actually felt, even though I was falling apart physically, I felt good. So I looked into it and found that, you know, there is actually something called forest therapy or nature therapy, that being in nature is actually therapeutic and healing. I am Amanda Yik, and you're listening to The Interested Podcast. I'm your host, Donna Edda. Interested is a result of my curiosity to explore more on our collective wellness wisdom. And that goes from physical to cognitive to emotional health to spirituality. This podcast is my attempt to bring nourishing conversations to help you live a higher quality, more fulfilling life. Amanda Yik is a certified professional coach for transformation. She has transitioned through multiple careers from commercial litigation lawyer to nonprofit manager to nature and forest therapy guide. Amanda believes that life on earth is about flourishing in our own unique, beautifully broken yet interwoven ways. Nothing needs to be perfect on its own, but together we complete the picture. In this conversation, we chatted about what it means to fully embrace all parts of ourselves, how to practice radical acceptance, and how that may be different to each of us. Without further ado, here is Amanda Yik. My journey towards wellness started, I think, I was just counting this morning. It was like 14 years ago in 2007. I had this moment of epiphany. Um, there's this knowing in my heart that tells me I need to do something about the earth. You know, it's so beautiful. And then it was like so way out there. I was a commercial lawyer back then that I have no idea what to do with it. So I started, okay, let me look into environmental protection, conservation. And then I did like a part-time master's in sustainability. And I kind of was finding my way around. And then in 2014, I was diagnosed with a late stage ovarian cancer. And in that moment, I have obviously completely forgotten about the fact that I need to do something about the earth. <laughs> I was just like in catastrophe mode. I need to stay alive and I just need to get all the help that I can to be well and to you know, continue. In that moment, I 
felt really broken, obviously. I was a very healthy person, or so I thought. I was doing all the right things. I was practicing yoga, mindfulness. I do a lot of exercise. I eat pretty healthily. And then, bang, I'm hit with a really serious illness. And so I, I was kind of thrown into that place of, oh, my life is falling apart. And I really, I mean, I, I got all the medical help I needed um, my family is hugely supportive, so I have all the support I needed in the kind of the material world. And I think a part of me feels like there is still something missing. Um, I don't feel like I'm being healed. In that moment, I suddenly realized that those time that I've spent in nature, as a healthy person and also in, in, in process of my recovery, I really felt that sense of how I am not a separated individual, that I am just a tiny little part of that huge puzzle that is made up of millions and millions of different pieces, and every single piece is different. Um, every single piece is really important because if we're missing one, we cannot complete this puzzle. And I feel like I had that sense of I'm just one of these tiny little pieces of the puzzle. In that moment, I felt really small. And usually that would be, you know, not a nice feeling to feel that I'm small. But because I was living with such a huge crisis in my life, right, I was facing cancer and living with cancer. Suddenly, I feel like my problem is tiny as well, because I am tiny. I also feel like if I'm just a part of this huge, gigantic puzzle, then definitely I'm not the only one having this problem. You know, there are millions out there who are probably in a similar situation and who are facing similar challenges. So I'm not alone, even though it seemed like, yes, I'm just an individual facing cancer. There are millions out there who are experiencing a similar journey. And in a way, we are walking this path towards recovery together. If I remember correctly, you were not always this way. Remember how you told me um, you didn't feel like you had emotions. Mm. And there was a part of you that you thought was your feminine self was an inconvenience. Mm -hmm. I want to dive in that a little bit before we move on to your discovery of nature because I want our audience to connect to the person that you were mm. to how you have evolved. Yeah, yeah. So definitely I haven't always had that insight. Um, I spent most of my life living without that insight. And that's probably, you know, I can never explain why I got cancer. I mean, none, no one can really explain that. But I definitely feel like the way I have been living my life before cancer had something to do with it. And I remember that moment of myself being coached by my coach at that time. And then we were talking about, I can't remember what it was now, maybe a feeling of being stuck. Um, I remember m me telling her that I don't think I have any emotions. You know, I'm, I'm pretty okay. And then, you know, of course, now, thinking back in that moment, I, of course, I know I wasn't okay. That was totally not okay to not have emotions. It's, it doesn't mean I didn't have emotions. It was just that I am completely 
detached and um, shut down on my emotional existence. And, um, and what does that mean? That means I've suppressed all my emotions. And because emotions are energy, they are somewhere in my body. And I just have no idea where they are. You know, God knows where they went. Maybe they went to my ovaries where that cancer was. Why were you suppressing your emotions? Ah, I think it's similar to that thing about inconvenience. Being a woman, emotions had always been inconvenient to me as well. I think it was challenging growing up as a teenager. I mean, obviously, everyone has their own challenges, and there are you know challenges in my family. I I do remember spending many nights feeling sad and crying, and how I kind of need to put that side. Of me aside, when I wake up and go about my day, and you know, studying and becoming a great student, and you know, I need to be good at what I do, so I can't have emotions. Do you mind sharing those challenges at home? Yeah. So my parents didn't get along with each other, so there's a lot of shouting and fighting, and I mean, it's as a as a teenager, I didn't know how to handle that. I chose to shut down. Because that's just easier, and I guess that kind of set a bad precedent in a way. Because that told me that shutting down would make things easier. Then I can just forge ahead and be this good person during the day, right? When I have to show up for work or for you know schools, um, it's just easier to not have emotions. And why was it inconvenient to be a woman? Hmm. And I'm not suggesting that being a woman means being emotional, but I think definitely being a woman, there is that part uh, that is more sensitive and um, more in touch with feelings and unpredictability. I think that's in contrast to the masculine kind of structure, framework, discipline, um, progress. Um, the feminine side is often. It's shapeless. It's more like a flow, so it's harder to understand. Because sometimes it's like this, sometimes it's like that, and like it's confusing. It's confusing, and I felt like I had enough confusion in my life already. So like, let's not deal with that. Let's not go there. Let's just pretend that we're okay. We're on this straight road, and we can just keep walking. And then, how did you discover a method that was able to guide you forward? By the time I was diagnosed with cancer, I felt like I still haven't found a way to actually be myself, or to be kind of really happy with who I am. And I think it really took that cancer, <laughs> even though it was really, really hard. And it sounds really cliche to say it's a blessing in disguise, but I, I really felt like that was a a monumental point in my life. Um, because the cancer really kind of is a signal to me that something was really wrong with my life, and I needed to find a different way out. And I basically allowed—I mean, it's not like I allowed myself. I basically had to fall apart. I couldn't work because the chemo was just devastating to my body. I just couldn't find the motivation to do anything. And I just rested. I basically quit my job and I spent all my energy 
on healing, on recovering. And a lot of the first couple of years was spent on really receiving treatment, um, chemotherapy, surgery, um, you know, target therapy. And then slowly, as I regained my strength, I realized actually I really needed to be outside, to be in nature. And How did you realize that? Because, you know, usually during the day, when I, especially when I was having chemo, I was so low on energy, but then I would still go out for a walk. I, you know, it's, it's so hard being indoors every day, you know, 24 hours a day, right? So I went out for walks. And then it's usually that short walk that felt like the best time of the day. So it was later on when I realized that, yeah, it was every time when I go to the park next door to my building that I felt nice, that I actually felt, even though I was falling apart physically, I felt good. So I looked into it and found that, you know, there is actually something called forest therapy or nature therapy, that being in nature is actually therapeutic and healing. So. I guess that's that's how I started to kind of finally found a way through that helped make me feel myself again, or maybe I can say to feel whole again. So for those who don't know what forest therapy is, can you just give us a quick rundown? Yeah, so forest therapy is a body-based experience. Um, it's... Um, an invitation for us to open our senses um, while we're in nature and to really take in the atmosphere of that place of being in the forest and to also just open our hearts towards whatever it is that nature is offering us. So for a lot of us, it could be a physical experience. We can feel relaxed and you know, rejuvenated. Oftentimes, people who join my walk, maybe with a cold or a flu to begin with, oftentimes in the middle of it, they started realizing, actually, I feel like I've recovered. Like I don't feel the, the, you know, the stuffed nose anymore. Um, and then there's also the emotional level um, of just being in a space where everything is welcome, where there's no one telling you what's right or wrong, where you can just be. You know, there's, there's nothing you actually need to do. There is something that's really soothing to our nervous system and also it feels like an open space for maybe some of our emotions to just you know, exist for a little bit, just to notice that, yeah, maybe I have some sadness in my heart. And that's fine. You know, I'll just be with it for a bit. And somehow being in nature makes you feel like you're supported. Even, even if I could be with a group of strangers, people I don't know, but in the presence of nature, everything seems to be okay. You know, there's, there's that emotional sense of safety. And then for some people, there's a spiritual level too, because oftentimes it is when we are surrounded and embraced by something that is bigger than us, that we realize, yes, there is something bigger than us out there. No, I didn't, I didn't plant that tree, but it's magnificent and it's like six stories tall and it's so green and, you know, birds call it home and it's just so beautiful and I had no... I didn't do anything to make that happen. So something is out there, something that's much more powerful than us is out there. So 
for some people, it can be a spiritual experience too. So it's a very simple thing, but it can be profound. How has forest therapy helped you in your recovery and then in your everyday life? Mm. So when I was recovering from cancer, I didn't even know that there was something called forest therapy. So um, when I say that forest therapy kind of helped in my healing, it, I think there are two parts to it. One part is me being in nature while I was going through chemo. And there is the other part of me learning to guide, you know, learning to become a forest therapy guide. And that journey in itself is extremely empowering because in learning to become a guide, I actually learned to work in partnership with nature um, so that it's not me doing the healing, it's me creating the space so that we can all receive the healing from the forest. What a great business partner. Oh, yes, <laughs> and a great office. <laughs> Absolutely. What parts of your inner self were you not seeing before and versus now? Wow, that's a juicy question. What parts of me was I not seeing? There are so many, um, especially I think what Carl Jung would call the shadows. Um, I, before I was diagnosed with cancer, I'm kind of widely known among my friends as the most positive person they know. So now I would call myself back then as someone who's kind of chronically positive. Like I, I was, I, I choose to see everything in such a positive light that actually I am avoiding the shadows. I'm not... I turn a blind eye to my emotions and I don't want to see the parts of me that might be deemed as kind of uglier or um, dangerous or, yeah, or wild. I remember when you told me, you know, sometimes I just want to show up and I don't want to smile. I want to hang out with my friends and say, hey, I'm, I'm not okay, so just don't expect me to entertain and be all bubbly today. And I really appreciate that honesty because how many of us feel that way, right? And I bet we feel that a lot of times, except that it's not very socially acceptable to say that. And for some people, it might sound selfish or self-centered to say that I show up and then I'm like, I'm not in a good mood, so don't talk to me. Um, but I feel like it's really important that we show up as imperfect because none of us is perfect. And even if we feel like we're perfect, we're not perfect all the time. Like there are times when we just feel like, oh my God, you know, I just got a parking ticket. And I don't want, you know, it's just really frustrating and I don't want to smile. I don't want to talk about it. And that's fine. And I think for me, that's the magic of being in the forest. The tree is not going to ask me to smile. Right? The tree is just going to take me as I am. And, um, and I feel accepted just the way I am, just the way I show up. Before we move on to the idea of wholeness, I actually want to unpack how a feeling of inadequacy comes from. Can you share your point of view? Mm. I feel like the first thing I want to say when it comes to inadequacy is the culture that we're living in right now. 
this very consumeristic and maybe patriarchal um, world that we're in and how there are external measures of what's good and what's bad and there seems to be a definition of success that everyone is striving towards um, with very little thought on what it could look like for individuals, for people living in different circumstances. So we, especially as women, sometimes we go around seeing images of what a, you know, a beautiful woman looks like. And when I look at myself and see how different I am from that model of you know, beauty, I feel like something needs to be fixed that I, I need to start doing something. Maybe I need to buy that package of facials <laughs> and have better skin. So we end up being consumers of things that we don't actually need. And I think another part of it also is that we always see happy faces around us. Like, yeah. And we go back to the point of it's not okay to be not happy. And then we have to show up happy. And then when we actually don't feel happy inside, then we tell ourselves, that's not good. Let me just, you know, let me just forget that. Let's not look into that. It's okay. I'll, I'll just be happy. I decide to be happy. I choose to be happy. I am happy. Like We, we kind of like hypnotize ourselves a little bit sometimes. And then... And then, yeah, I mean, and, and then just burying that sadness or that grief somewhere in our body. Um, and that's going to creep up on us later on. This is a segue that I want us to expand on your idea of radical acceptance. Yeah, I think for me, radical acceptance is based on the assumption that we are all well-intentioned. Um, regardless of what or how we show up. So when I was thinking about this question, the um, image of someone who is living with a drug addiction pops up because I do some forest therapy work with people who are living with addictions. And oftentimes I think our society thinks that drug addiction is a problem that needs to be fixed. There's something really wrong with this behavior and this person, and we need to do something about it. And for me, a different way of looking at it, if we embrace radical acceptance, is we assume this person is already doing his or her best, and that this drug addiction is actually a coping mechanism that is keeping this person alive. And with the knowledge and resources that this person has, this is the thing that they can come up with to keep going. And that's using drugs. Um, but using drugs, of course, is not a wise way of coping with a problem. It's just that with whatever resources this person has, that's the best they can come up with. So it is a behavior that's based on the best intention. So, I mean, it's, it might be hard to see it from that angle, but I do believe that this is a life-transforming perspective. If we start looking at ourselves, you know, all the problems that we have, all the things that we don't like ourselves for, and if we see it from the light of, actually, I'm trying my best already. My body is constantly trying her best to stay alive. And so is everything that I'm doing 
it is to help sustain me, even though it may not be accepted by society. And also we can look at other people from that angle. Like there may be people we don't like or people who are, you know, engaging in behaviors that society condemns. You know, imagine people living in prisons right now. Um, whatever they've done or however they've shown up in that moment in time is the best that they can do in that moment. And it's okay for us to accept that that's the truth and then move on from there instead of condemning that person. But I think the hardest is actually radical acceptance of yourself. Mm. You know, we are the worst critic when we see ourselves, our own behavior, our own thoughts. It is so detrimental. Do you have any insights on how you can guide us to see our inadequacies and embrace the wholeness? I think it all begins with just noticing how we're feeling right now. Sometimes I think it's, there are problems that are too big for us to solve within a short time frame. And maybe sometimes there are problems that are too big to solve in our lifetime. And if we look at the end goal that we want to achieve, it can be really overwhelming. So what I find useful is to just take a step back and look at where I am now, how far I've come, and what has helped me to get here today. And then just fully embracing all of that and just celebrating the fact that I've done my best to be where I am now. And not to say that we're, you know, self-satisfied or, uh, or, you know, or being complacent. Um, it's really about just honoring ourselves, honoring how with what we might have been given since birth, we've made it all the way through to now and it's been a really challenging time for all of us on earth and just that is worthy of celebration and i think with that little dance of celebration we can then look forward with slightly different eyes and perhaps find new ways of continuing with that journey so i would just bring everything back to this present moment and pause and say to myself well done <laughs> and then let's see what else we can do this is a great segue to talk about some of the modalities that you use in your coaching that helps people have that internal awareness. Um, and I think one of them is the internal family system. Mm. Can you talk about that? Because I found it really fascinating. It's honoring the different parts of our psyche and accepting it, right? Mm, absolutely. Yes, it is very much about fully embracing who we are, including our brokenness and our pain. So the internal family system is a, a method that a lot of psychotherapists use. And I need to say that I'm not a psychotherapist. I'm a coach that used this as a tool to work with my clients. And it's, it believes that our mind is inherently multiple, that there are sub-personalities living within us at the, you know, all at the same time. 
in any given moment. And that these different inner parts, each of these parts carry qualities and gifts for us. And all of these parts are welcome. And that includes parts that may not be socially acceptable. For example? For example, the part of me that, you know, condemns myself. <laughs> and so by understanding those parts of ourselves, how can we deal with our struggles? So I, I personally feel like just the fact of accepting that there are different parts of me and that is completely okay. That doesn't mean that I'm strange or you know something's wrong with me. Just that is powerful. I feel like it's, it's a great starting point to then see how these parts affect us when we make decisions. So I have this very simple favorite example when friends ask me or clients ask me what is internal family system. So imagine you're walking into a shop and you see a beautiful dress and the first response is, oh my God, this is so beautiful, I wanna buy it. And that, might, that excitement might last for a few seconds before that other voice would come in and say, let's take a look at the price tag. Oh, it's expensive. And I have like 20 other dresses in my wardrobe that I haven't touched. So I probably shouldn't be buying this dress. And then maybe a few moments later, there's another voice that comes in and say, oh yeah, this dress looks beautiful on the mannequin. It's not going to look good on you. You have like your waistline. Look at that. <laughs> that happens to me like so many times and I'm sure for many other people. And all these voices exist in, in me, inside of me at the same time. And if I break that down a little bit further, the first voice that showed up, you know, the part of me that gets really excited when I saw this beautiful dress is probably a little childlike. It's probably more like my inner child, like when I was eight years old and I run into a shop and you know, beg my mom to buy you know, a pretty dress. That's probably that part of me, right? And then the second voice of looking at the price tag, oh, it's expensive, I shouldn't be spending money this way and I have, you know, ah, oh, it's wrong, I shouldn't do this. That might be the sound of a protector or um, it might sound like my mom. When I was young, right, my mom would say, this toy is really expensive, let's not go there. And then maybe the third voice around that, you know, I don't have this pretty body to carry this dress. That's the voice of a self-critic. Um, it can also be the voice of society's conditioning right, of what is pretty, of what is a good body. And because I've been um, conditioned by this voice, it becomes part of my inner voice too. So all of that is affecting us. So I may end up standing in front of this dress for a whole five minutes, still undecided, so what should I do? Is there a pattern of which voice is stronger and more dominant? I think it differs for everyone. Um, and this, this would be a great thing to look into as a self-inquiry. For me, definitely that voice of 
this is too expensive and I have so many of it at home already, so I shouldn't buy it. That voice for me is very prominent every time I try to make a purchase decision. The beauty of being aware of the different parts within us is that we can actually then take a moment to step back. You know, again, going to that place of, okay, let's come back to this moment and see what's in front of us. That's the time when we have the opportunity to access what in the internal family system is called the self, self with a bigger S. And maybe in spiritual lingo, that could be the higher self or the higher mind or, you know, the wise one. And when we step back and we are invited in that self, um, that wise self to come in and, you know, take a look at the situation and make a decision from there, then we make the decision that actually feels right. And that self in the system of belief is inherent in everyone. And theoretically, we don't actually need to do any spiritual practice in order to cultivate the self. The self is already inborn within us, every one of us. So then how do we find that self when all these voices are chattering away? For me, it's a moment of stillness, a moment of silence, a moment of taking back, like literally in my mind, imagining myself taking a step back. And you just let them talk? Yeah, I mean, it's actually fantastic if you can actually listen to them talk and, you know, just like um, that Pixar movie... Inside out. Inside out. Joy, anger, and sadness, whatever. You know, they all have their parts to play. And then I am kind of the conductor self. When we're in self with a capital S, we're kind of the conductor of this choir of the different parts of ourselves. And once we, if we do really have the opportunity to hear from each of these parts, then we have a lot of more information, right? A lot more information that we can use to make that decision. And um, using that shopping example again, if I really take that five minutes to think about, okay, what should I do with this dress? Then I might come to a place, and I have often actually come to that place of, I might be happy now buying this dress, but I won't be happy in six weeks when I have to think about how to dispose of this dress and knowing that it's going to be another additional piece of rubbish in the landfill. I wouldn't be happy then. Then I would be making that decision based on maybe a love, of, a love for the earth of not creating another piece of trash. And then I can step away from that dress feeling, yes, I've acted in love you know, for the earth rather than a painful moment of self-restraint because, you know, a part of me feel like I don't deserve the dress. I now want to jump to one of your blog posts titled Be Myself. I want to take this moment to read it, your words, but hold on. Being myself all the time? Something about this idea feels constricting, as if there is only one way to be me. Wait, actually, I don't want to be myself all the time, because sometimes I want to lose myself, be something I'm not. Metabolize, metamorphosize, shed skin, change color, shape shift, evolve. 
not pinned down by needing to be myself, my small self. I am the universe taking shape as this human body in this particular intersection of time and space. When I am the universe, I am all of it. I am, we all are, all of it. First of all, Amanda, that is just so beautiful. Thank you. Great piece of writing. Can you expand on what was your thought behind this piece? Yeah, so I remember writing this piece when I received an email from a friend that I haven't seen for like 18 years. And then I knew her when I was a lawyer and living a very different life. And, and she's still a lawyer. Like we were colleagues back then. So in the email that she sent me, she said, oh, you must be so happy now that you can be yourself all the time. And then for a moment, I was like, there's something wrong about this line. Like something's not sitting well with me. And then I realized, do I really want to be myself all the time? That feels like I'm just jumping from one box into another box Uh, and that you know, it's only that that box is called be myself. Right? And when something becomes like a slogan, it's, it's constricting, it's, it's requiring us to be in a certain way. And for me, that's not freedom. So even something as amazing as being myself can turn into a trap if I don't find the freedom within it or if I don't experience spaciousness within it. So for me, being myself is very fluid. So just for example, right now, being me is being a little nervous because I'm being interviewed and I know this is being recorded and it's going to be listened to by a lot of people. So I'm feeling a little nervous and that's just being me right now. And then maybe, maybe by the end of it, I'd be like, oh, Donna, let's go for a drink. Let's celebrate. And I'm feeling really social and lighthearted and, you know, yeah, just elated that I've done a fantastic interview. And then maybe when I go home, being myself means, oh, I need to lie down. I did a lot of work today and um, I just need some space. I need to be just really quiet. So be myself in that space would be very introverted and very, very different from what I am right now. So for me, being myself, is it's, it's all of that. And sometimes we don't know what it is. And that takes me back to that feminine side of our being, that unpredictability, that shifting from one thing to another within half a second. Um, what I used to see as inconvenience is actually the way of nature and the way of life. And we are a part of nature and nature is ever changing. Um, and it's going with that energy, going with kind of knowing what we need in the moment and just really listening to our body and honoring that. That for me is the real deal when it comes to being myself this is a great segue to the ecological self that you've talked about and I want to explore that can you please share what that means and how that relates to us understanding about our true self and how to really embrace the wholeness Mm. so ecological self is a sense of self that includes all beings all the beings on earth. 
Um, so usually when we think of self, we think of oneself, right? Our indif individual self. And to contrast that with ecological self, ecological self is a sense of self that is expansive, that expands from just me as an individual to including other life on earth. So maybe an example I can give is um, from an environmental conservation point of view. I can say I protect the rainforest. That's my mission. You know, I do this work to protect the rainforest. Let's just say that. And that's my sense of self. I am a protector of the rainforest. And for me, when I really sit with that, when I really feel that with my heart and my body, it feels really overwhelming. It's, it's like, is, isn't that, is that really possible for me to protect and save the rainforest? The rainforest is huge. Is it really my job to protect the rainforest? And how do I actually go about doing it, right? It's such a, such a phenomenal burden. But then the ecological self view of this is that I am the rainforest protecting herself. So I expand my sense of self to become the rainforest. And I'm just acting as part of the rainforest protecting herself. And that kind of allows us to really open up and really becoming, again, that tiny little piece of that mega puzzle and really just surrendering to that bigger picture, that bigger power um, that holds us all. And when we fully embrace being just a part of it, we actually can draw power and strength from the rest of it. How do we access that? It's definitely, for me, what really works is to really feel it in my body. And that is when forest therapy, I think, really comes into the picture for me because the experience of being in nature in a sensory way. So really just noticing our body uh, immersed in nature and paying attention to our senses, our hearing, what we smell, what we see, what we can feel on our skin. It's an invitation to kind of lose ourselves and just become a part of the forest. I remember distinctly there's this moment in my forest therapy guide training where I was standing between two gigantic gum trees in Australia and I was st really literally standing between the two of them. And I just stood there. I wasn't really doing anything. I was just like, wow, these are amazing trees. And I was looking at them. And then there's this distinct feeling of, oh, I am actually one of them. I am kind of being surrounded by their energy in such a visceral way that I felt like I just become the third gum tree standing in that forest. And with that sense of being a part of nature comes with this huge sense of relief that I'm not doing this alone. And 
that I am fully supported by the earth. That also draws a really nice parallel to what we talked about being whole. I am and full stop. Mm. It's not I am enough. Even the word enough is a sense of judgment, a sense of measurement. Yeah. You can just be and that's all you have and to do. And that's it. There is this quote from Ram Das that I really like. So Ram Das says, when you go out into the woods and you look at trees, you see all these different trees and some of them are bent and some of them are straight and some of them are evergreens and some of them are whatever. And you look at the tree and you allow it. You see why it is the way it is. You sort of understand that it didn't get enough light and so it turned that way and you don't get all emotional about it. You just allow it. You appreciate the tree. And the minute you get near humans, you lose all that. And you are constantly saying, you are to this or I am to this. That judgment mind comes in. And so I practice turning people into trees, which means appreciating them just the way they are. So after all these different methods and modalities that you've experienced, how have you come to accept yourself wholly? Wow, that's a difficult question, I think, because it's different moment to moment. In this moment in time? In this moment in time, I just want to sit in silence. I just want to take a moment to just notice the, the movement of life force within me. The fact that I'm alive, I think, is something worth celebrating. And the fact that I have just taken time to share about work that I'm passionate about is it makes me feel purposeful. Now, feeling all the spectrums of emotions that you once suppressed, how has your life changed? I think when once we accept the emotions that are present within us, um, my experience is that I feel them more vividly. Um, they become more real. And that applies to sadness, to pain, to even shame and guilt. Yes, I feel them all. But that also applies to joy and happiness and fulfillment and contentment and gratitude. So I'm more able to feel all of that. But most of all, I'm more able to feel joy because when I look back on my life kind of pre-cancer or even before that when I, when I was still practicing as a lawyer, I can't really recall really genuine moments of profound joy. There are obviously moments of, you know, elation of, you know, going for a happy hour drink with a friend after a long day of work. Yes, of course, of course, it's fun and happy, right? But it's very different from that sense of joy that comes really deep from your beingness. That sense of joy of, wow, I am alive. And I have all this opportunity to, to enjoy and to to experience and to try different things. That kind of joy, I think, was only possible for me when I started to embrace all of the emotions, including what we would call the negative ones. Thanks so much for sharing that, Amanda. We're coming towards the end of the interview. What is the 
best piece of advice you've ever received? Don't waste your cancer. So it's an article that a friend sent to me after he found out that I was diagnosed with cancer. It's an article I think written by a um, pastor. His article really hit me because I was, I think, back then at a place where I was still questioning, why is this happening to me? Like I thought I was really healthy, but then seeing it. As an opportunity, you know, seeing cancer as an opportunity to bring and com- bring a complete overhaul to my life, to actually maybe potentially turning it into the direction of happiness and joy and more possibilities, it changed my life. So yeah, that piece of advice was don't waste your cancer. What is the book that you have gifted the most or made the most impression on you? So the book that has made the most impression on me is called "If the Buddha Got Stuck: A Handbook for Change on a Spiritual Path" by Charlotte Castle. So this book, I chanced upon this book when I was, I think, embarking on my spiritual journey. It was it was actually around 2007, so 14 years ago now, and.、Um, It's a very practical, easy to read book for anyone, not just for Buddhists. And it opens up a lot of new perspectives for me. And in closing, what are your thoughts on wellness and how our listeners can integrate what we've talked about today into their lives to live a higher quality and more fulfilling life? So I really would love to emphasize that. And this is a quote that I love, and I've forgotten who said it. So apologies to whoever who said it. Please reach out to me to tell me it, these are your words. Everything is simultaneously blessed and broken. So I want to say to those people who are feeling down or feel like the world is weighing on you that you're not alone in that. And sometimes all we need is the space to sit. And feel our feelings. If that's not possible to do on your own, then there is always help. And for those of us who are chronically positive, like my old self, I want to really encourage you to see how we are capable of holding both joy and pain at the same time, and that we can actually give our pain a chance to speak to us. There's this Rumi quote that I really like as well, that the crack is where the light enters. So, our pain holds a lot of potential for healing. Well, Amanda, thank you so much for being here today. Where can people find you? So, my website is www.amandayik.com, and I'm often on Instagram. You can find me on Amanda underscore Yik. Thank you so much again、thank、for being、you. here. Really appreciate it.